So I think last time we finished up the city section and we're going to be talking about the garden part of this <clears throat> heavenly Jerusalem. It's Revelation 22. We finished up 21. We'll read through both again. It's only a few verses in uh, 22. But let's pray before we, before we begin. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, we do give you thanks and praise that we come and gather as your people. We thank you, Lord, that you are uh, a God who loves and a God who forgives and a God who calls, Father. And we thank you, Lord, that you have called us out of darkness and into the light of your beloved kingdom, into the, um, this <clears throat> city, this holy city this new Jerusalem, this heavenly city, Father God. And we thank you, Lord, that, that this is our home, Lord, and we pray, Lord, that we would be this holy city. But now as we um, read about it and learn about it, Father, we pray that you would take these words and use them to mold us and shape us through the power of your Spirit and to the image of your uh, beloved Son. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so, we'll start reading again in Revelation 21. All right. And then continue on to 22, verse 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, <clears throat> and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. <clears throat> to the thirsty, I will give the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the, faith, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. <clears throat> then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying come I will show you the bride the wife of the lamb and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God its radiance like a most rare jewel like a jasper clear as crystal it had a great high wall with twelve gates, 
and at the twelve gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its height. <coughs> I'm sorry, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first, jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, agate, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, onyx, the sixth, carnelian, the seventh, uh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysoprase, and the eleventh, uh, jacinth, and the twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. <clears throat> then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. All right. So, <clears throat> last week we spoke a bit about, uh, I guess the. Well, we finished up twenty. Pretty much finished up twenty-one. As I was reading it, there's parts that I saw that I was like, "Oh yeah, we didn't really talk about that," and "Oh yeah, we didn't really talk about this." But you know, got to kind of keep it somewhat short, right? But um, but we should talk about a little bit of these things. Like, for instance, um, we spoke about this, right? By its light, the nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. We did, we did speak about that briefly. Um, but maybe I should expand on that just a little bit. But before we go on, all right, because I know like a lot of this is new to many people. At least this way of reading this text is new to many people. Now, are there any questions about this before we go on? Because now, while it's a, such a small group, is the time to ask these questions and have them answered. And I'll do my best to answer them anyway. No one has any questions about this? 
about what we've been going through. Go ahead, Steve. Um, last week you mentioned the, uh, the foundation being the apostles. And the prophets, right. Um, you didn't mention, and I just want to confirm, it's also on the foundation of the old, the old covenant and the new covenant. What's this? The old covenant and the new covenant, the old testament and the new testament. What about them? Well, the, the prophets of the old testament, and then the apostles are in the new testament. Although there is a, there are two prophets in the new testament. There's a lot of prophets in the new testament, actually. But um, you know, what did the old testament prophesy? Right. You see, Old Testament or New Testament, as you, as it were. You know, that's a hard uh, way of looking at it. You know, um, looking at it with that distinction: Old Testament, New Testament. You know, um, we, there there are two covenants. Obviously, we're we're told that specifically, but there's one people, right? This city is about the people there, right? And if we look at what the prophets prophesied. Like you said, they prophesied Christ, right? That's what Jesus said. Um, so, the testimony of the prophets that they gave was about the messianic age, like in, in the in the broadest sense, right? They were they were prophesying what was to to come in terms of in terms of Christ, but they were also prophesying what Israel was to be, and that was Christ, right? Jesus is the the true. Israel. Like when they spoke, well, we'd go back and we could use Ezekiel's vision, that vision of that temple that Ezekiel had as, a, as an example. Well, they prophesied, well, well, Ezekiel prophesied about that temple, and he said that they were to be ashamed of themselves um, based upon the dimensions and measurements and description of this, this temple. Um, Remember what that temple represented, right? Or what all the temples represented, what the tabernacle represented, what the temple represented, what the other temple, what Ezekiel's temple represented. You know, it represented Christ, right? In the, in the fullest sense. The people, Israel themselves, they were supposed to be the son of God, right? right? That's, what, that's what God says and elsewhere through the prophets. He's like, out of Egypt I have called my son. Amen. And who is he speaking about during the prophecy? And, hmm? Yes, but, but specifically, like, uh, in that prophecy, who is he speaking of? Israel, right. Israel. Because Israel is typographically Christ, right? So, um... It's, it's, again, then, if, if that's the case, it's hard then to make that distinction in terms of, like, oh, prophets are Old Testament, apostles are New Testament. Like, that's not necessarily true, you know. That's not necessarily the case. I mean, it is true to a point, but again, there were prophets in the, in the uh, New Testament period as well. I mean, we have Stephen and his daughters, right, the four prophetesses, and, uh, yeah, well, uh, what's the guy's name? Agabus. Agabus, yes. There's many that are mentioned. You know, I mean, the apostles themselves prophesied, as it were. So, um, if you actually read the book of the Revelation, right, you'll see you will see a distinction made between Old Testament saints, 
and New Testament saints. Um, I don't know where, like off the top of my head, but you'll see the, uh, like, uh, let's see here. Let's see if I can find one. All right. It talks about, there's some beatitudes that are given about those who are, let's see, sorry. I wasn't expecting that specific question. So um, trying to answer it is, let's see. I don't know where it would be. Oh, that's too bad. But but yeah, there is a distinction made. And if I find it, I'll, uh, I'll let you know. It says something along the lines of um, those who uh, were slain for the, what is it, the, the testimony of, of the, what, I can't remember how it words it, the law, something like this. And then the testimony of the Lamb, that's obviously dealing with New Testament, but then sometimes it leaves out the, and the Lamb part. And clearly, those didn't testify of the Lamb because the Lamb wasn't around when they were alive. They died in the Old Covenant period. I mean, they are put on the same level, the Old Testament saints who died for the sake of righteousness, and then the New Testament saints who died for the sake of um, righteousness and for the name of Christ, they're put on equal footing. But there is a distinction that is made between the two. Um... Yeah, good. Okay, Revelation six nine. Which one is that one? There you go. Okay. Thank you. Very, yes. That's funny. I just didn't read far enough. It was a, all right. Very nice. Thank you. 6 9, yes. Um, so it says, yeah, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. There you go. There's no, and the lamb there, right? So these are Old Testament saints, these are not New Testament saints which only makes sense in the context of this passage. Um, in the context of this passage, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Um, they are those who are under the altar. What are altars again? Do you guys remember? Oh, well, you know what? Who can exegete this for me? <laughs> We're going to test your learning. Huh? Yeah, 6 9. <laughs> I, yeah. Yep, I, indeed. The altar's a mountain. <laughs> yep, the altar's a, a mountain. Yep, absolutely. Go ahead. Not going to hate you. That's right. What's up? Yep, yep, it is. It is indeed. And the and and what is the altar picture? It is a mountain, but it's a specific kind of mountain. It's a meeting place of God and man, which is a specific kind of mountain, which is it's a holy mountain, right? It, it, yes, Sinai. Sinai would be a great one because remember what did Sinai look like? 
it had this mountain and there's smoke and fire at the top and all of this stuff. Doesn't remind you of a picture of an altar, right? That would be. That that is one thing that you do see there, right? But um, now, if 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 that's the case, why are these souls uh, under the altar? What happened at the altar? Sacrifice. Sacrifices happened at the altar, and what happened there? What? They were sacrificed and martyred, but why are they under the altar? Because you normally put a sacrifice on top of an altar and it ascends up into heaven in smoke. All right? So why are they under the altar? What happened at the altar? What? What? Well, no, no, no. You're close. You're close with the idea of blood. What happened to the blood? The blood was splattered on the sides of the altar, and therefore it ran down into the ground underneath the altar, right? Where did all of the prophets die, according to uh, Revelation and, and Jesus and elsewhere? Jerusalem. Okay, Jerusalem is a holy mountain, right? So these saints and, and whatnot and prophets are killed Symbolically at Jerusalem, because they weren't all killed at Jerusalem, obviously, but it's symbolically, it's for this understanding of this, right? They were killed there, and their blood goes down into the earth. Therefore, they are under the altar, right? And they were killed unjustly and killed wrongly, weren't they? And so what happens? What do they do? They cry out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth or in the land, right? So they're crying out for vengeance. Remember, what does the blood of Abel cry out for? That Jesus' blood uh, some, uh, you know, cries out for something much better. Well, Abel's blood cries out for vengeance. Like he's one of those prophets, right? We're told that uh, by Christ. The blood of righteous Abel all the way to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah on you, right? He says to the Pharisees, scribes, and as he puts it, hypocrites. So on Jerusalem, the blood of Abel, all the way to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, all of the Old Testament saints, on, on them will, will fall this judgment because their blood is crying out, saying, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell in the land, right? That's what their blood is crying out for. That's what's going on here. This is what, this is what uh, John sees. He sees the saints who have been slain, who's, uh, who are under the altar, as it were. <clears throat> All right, does that make sense? Hopefully that makes sense. All right, yeah, good. All right, excellent. So, uh, that did not, uh, that was a little side venture. Unfortunately, but but regardless, there is a distinction, and I was okay. No, it's not really a side venture, but these are Old Testament saints, and we know that through the way it's worded, they were slain for the word uh, of God and the witness they had borne, and then elsewhere it talks about those who are slain for um, the word of God and the testimony of the Lamb. Right. <clears throat> Go ahead. What? Would this not include the saints who died between the 
These saints that John is seeing right now? No. Because remember what God tells them? He says <clears throat> in verse 11, Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Right? He told them, wait just a little bit more. There's more coming. And that's why Jesus said, fill up then the measure of your fathers. Their cup wasn't yet full. Right? And then, what's the, what are, what's the number of saints who fill up the cup? We're told that quite explicitly. I mean, it's a symbolic number, but we're still told that. 144,000, 144, yeah. That's, that's correct. That's what those 144,000 are. You know, it's nothing to do with the JWs or anything. Yeah, the 144,000 is the, the saints who would exist in between the destruction of the temple and the um, resurrection, who are to be slain, who are to be martyred, to fill up the cup of uh, wrath, right? That was going to be poured out on Jerusalem as well. I suppose there were seven bowls of wrath that were poured out on uh, Jerusalem there. All right, but we're getting a little bit further afield than I'd like to go. But uh, to answer the question, um, prophets don't necessarily just mean Old Testament and apostles, New Testament. There is the distinction, but remember, it's one people. That's what I was trying to say. There's a distinction that is made between Old Testament saints in Revelation, right? Those who are slain for the word of God and the testimony they bore, and those who are slain for the word of God and for the testimony of the Lamb, right? But they're put on equal footing, you know? They're, it's, they, they've been united. Uh, and in, that, in, that, in their case, they were united in, in death. <clears throat> but, but uh, yeah, no, remember what Paul says. There's no Jew nor Gentile, right? There's, there's only one people. That, that barrier wall has been broken down. And the, what the prophets prophesied was Christ, was the Messianic uh, age, <clears throat> was even this holy city, right? We read some of that from Isaiah, from elsewhere. And now, um, are there any other questions about this before we go into the garden portion of this, before we jump into um, 22? So for those who weren't here, I had said that this is the time, because I know that a lot of this is new to people in terms of the way that this is being interpreted. Go ahead, Maria. What, what, what did you ask Anything that we're going through. Because like now's the time to ask it, and uh, I'll do my best to answer. Because um, I know this this interpretation can be jarring. As I've had people come and speak to me about it afterwards, but I think that if someone would ask, it might benefit others. You know, instead of trying to ask privately, you can ask publicly. But. Yeah, it is, right. Yeah, dust to dust. I mean, way back when. Remember, who's the first blood that cried out? Abel, right? I mean, he says explicitly that God said to Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me, right, from the ground. Because, yeah, it, it's, it is a consequence of sin, especially, especially uh, the 
unjust taking of life. Murder, specifically, cries out to God. That blood that spilled unjustly on the earth uh, cries out uh, for justice. <clears throat> we have a lot of blood that was spilled in our land, right, that cries out to God. So that's a scary thought, isn't it? But, um, but Christ's blood covers all if one repents. Good. What's up? <laughs> I thought you were going to ask a question. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, yeah, it does. It does. This is... Um, I'm trying to figure out how to tie that one back into what we're talking about. But, no, it's okay, Maria. Yeah, deep thoughts for early Sunday morning, right? Yes. <laughs> Learn to count your days. So it's true. But um, any questions about the what we've been going through in terms of this heavenly Jerusalem? This new city, the new earth, the new heaven, right? Uh, what are the new heavens and new earth? A church. The church is, yeah, it's, it's definitely part of the new heavens and new earth. Um, why is the heaven, why is heaven new? Yep, there's a man in it, right? Why is the earth new? That's right, the Spirit was poured out into it. Those are two things that had never happened before. Right? Christ ascended into heaven, in a place no man had ever gone before. And the Spirit was poured out onto the earth. Right? That's something that never occurred before. A Spirit was given to this person or to this person or to this person. Now it's given to all of God's people, just as Moses uh, had prophesied. So, new heavens, new earth. Things are a changing. Um, let's look then. If there are no questions about about this this city, let's look a bit about uh, the garden portion. Right in twenty two, it begins. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, uh, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, one thing I find interesting about this, well, first, that we're discussing the river before we get into the tree. Um, the angel showed me the, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So, what's the, what's the river? Yep, the spirit is is probably the the best answer to give there. And what does it do? Well, like it's flowing from uh, the throne of God and of the Lamb. So the the spirit, as as the uh, the, the creed states, it, it precedes from the Father and the Son. You know, there was that whole debate. Well, this text says it pretty clearly, <laughs> uh, uh, right? So. Yeah, this, so the Spirit is preceding from the, the Father and the Son. Um, and it's 
flowing through the middle of the street of this city. All right. Now, when we look at this, this is on a great high mountain, right? And what happens to rivers on great high mountains? Yeah, they flow down, right? So this would flow down into the rest of the, the land, right? And we see this elsewhere. We've, we could read it about Ezekiel's temple. But you could always, always just go right on back to Genesis 2 and read about the rivers that flow out of Eden, right? And they go out and water the rest of the earth. That was a major, that, well, that was, that is a major theme in Scripture, right? In Exodus, one of my favorite pictures. It's just a, just a one-off, just a... Someone look this up for me because I didn't bother to do it. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. I thought about it and then forgot about it. So, but uh, the 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 they stopped at this place where there were um, twelve springs of water, and they watered seventy palm trees. Right, that's something that uh, that carries along the same theme of from from Eden. Those four rivers watering the rest of the world. Where is that? Because that's, that's an important picture, and that's something that ties directly into what we're discussing, discussing here. What's up? What is it? Exodus 15.27. Right. Does that also tie into the 70 elders that were I'd have to... No, it's all right. I have to think about how that would play in. I'd have to read the context of, of that. But generally, like, you know why they use the number 70 a lot? Where that number comes from? Yes, it's the number of the nations. Yeah, Jacob, better write the 70 nations. Where did that number come from? Why are there 70 nations? Huh? Yep, Genesis 10, where it's talking about the nations. There are 70 of them. So generally speaking, when you read about the number 70, it's referring to 70 nations. So you have 12 springs of water. Let's see. What verse was it again? I'm sorry. 15. Oh, 27. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, so they just made this, uh, this stop at Mara. Then they came to Elam, where, they, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Oh, so it's just like a one-off verse, right? But it's an important verse. This is something that they were supposed to learn from. Sort of like Ezekiel's temple, they were supposed to learn from this. So you have 12 springs of water. What are, what are the 12 springs of water? The 12 tribes, right? Yeah. What? Well, yeah. But in this context, what was this? There, this, is, this is Israel coming out of Egypt, right? You have 12 springs of water, and they were to water the 70 palm trees, right? 12 springs of water watering the uh, palm trees. So you have 12 tribes of Israel that were meant to give life to the rest of the nations. That's the picture that's presented to them. That was always their mission. That was always their job. And they failed uh, spectacularly, actually. Right? No, really. I mean, down to the point where they thought they were better than all the other nations. You know, Jesus had to disabuse them of that notion uh, quite frequently. And now that task has gone on, as you said, to the disciples and through the disciples to the church. And we see it brought to life here in Revelation 22, right? You see this river flowing through the middle of the street of the city, and it goes, and by inference, it does go out and it waters the rest of 
the world. The same way that the, by the light of the city, the nations walk, so by the water of the city, the nations grow. Um, and <clears throat> there's other things that, but the point is directly to Genesis. I mean, it's, it's blatant. It's, didn't even make an attempt to, to hide it or anything. Uh, you have this river, and you also have on either side of the river the tree of life, right? And the tree of life is there for specific purposes with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month and the leaves of the tree for, for the healing of the nations. We're told that explicitly. So in, he says, in so many ways is the church there for the rest of the world, right? By its light, the nations will walk. Its leaves are for the healing of the nations. The river that flows through the street of the city is for the uh, nurturing of the nations, for, the, uh, for giving life to the, the nations. So the church then is there for the sake of the rest of the world. That's what it was always supposed to be. That's what Israel was always supposed to be. That's what Christ uh, was. Right? He was the one by whom all the nations of the earth are blessed. And through Christ, we are the ones that, like, who fulfill that. What's up? Yes. That they were supposed to multiply and take dominion. And when we read in the garden, the rivers are flowing out of the garden down. The garden is up, elevated. Yeah, the, yeah, the garden's on the mountain, right? Yep. Yeah, no, it is. That's what it, it goes from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. The same theme goes all the way f through. Um, the Spirit is poured out uh, through. That's what, always the picture. The Spirit's been poured out through, um, well, it goes through the church, and then it goes out into the rest of the world, giving life. Um, what I was going to say before about what I find interesting, too, is the way this is worded. You, you, there's, this happens a few places in, in Revelation. It happens here, and it happens in Revelation 20, I'm sorry, uh, Revelation 11, dealing with the two witnesses. There's a they, they they play the author plays with um, you know plurals and and singulars like uh, here listen to how this is worded on either side of the river the tree of life right so it talks about many trees and then singular tree you know it plays with that that uh, idea of is there one is there many uh, that's the that's the biggest issue in all of philosophy, right? The problem of the one and the many. <laughs> How you answer that question like, affects everything else, you know? And so to hear the author is playing with, or the, the, the one who's giving the revelation is playing with that idea as well, you know? I mean, what is the church, right? Is the church one? Or is the church many? Oh, yeah, it's both, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's like one of those mysteries, right? Like marriage is, you know, two people, but they're one, right? And that mystery is great. And he's speaking of Christ in the church, he says. But the church itself, 
is also been united through the power of the Spirit, right? Through the power of this river. That's why these uh, trees appear as singular on either side of this river. Because without that river, without that water, these trees will not grow, right? Go ahead. I'm not going to say yes to that, <laughs> because nothing is like God and nothing is like the Trinity. They are on, that's another thing entirely, you know, like by nature, by nature, we remain many, you know, God by nature is one. So no, you know, <laughs> that's one of those questions I don't want to touch with a 10 foot pole, just because it's, uh, it's complicated, you know. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the nature of reality is many particular mm -hmm. So it's a reflection of the nature of God. It's not identical in any way, shape, or form, but there's a one and a manyness about, about all reality. So, and again, it's a reflection of the nature of God being one and many. Did you say, did, wait, wait, did you say that there's one essence for creation? Okay, yeah, God is one of us. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Right. Yes, absolutely, right. Right, right, yes. No, absolutely, it reflects it, but it's, it's not, it's not, yeah, right. No, no, no. You're right, right, right. That's why I said it's complicated. Absolutely. Right, absolutely. Right. Well, right. And yes, yes, yes. Yep. Yep, that's true. Absolutely. That's touching like the metaphysical. Yes. Yeah, now we're dealing with metaphysics. That's right. Yep, we are. We're. We've moved away from the river of the water of life to metaphysical problems dealing with the ones. No, it's, it's incredibly important. No, no, it's absolutely incredibly important. And again, it, it, does, it, it plays with that idea here, you know, in the text. But regardless, um, go ahead, Steve. What were you going to ask? E pluribus unum, right? <laughs> All right. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you can, you can, you know, out of the out of the many one, right? But you know, I don't know. Um, yes, yeah. The the, the we we. One thing that I don't know if we realize uh, too much is that we are mystically united to, not just to Christ, right? We understand, we have you know, that somewhere floating in the back of our heads, that we are mystically united to Christ, but we're also mystically united to each other, you know? Like we're one body, the same way as what Paul uses the illustration of a body, right? The same way like there's our two separate fingers or two separate hands, but that it's part of the same body, right? Um, 
it's, it's, uh, we are really united to each other, controlled by one head, you know. I don't want to use the word controlled in that manner, but you understand what I mean. Directed by that one, by one head, that is Christ, right? Christ is the head of the church. Uh, and that only makes sense if the church is a body, right? We, we use the word body quite frequently to refer to things like you have the body politic, right? Where you have the head of a nation, being a king or president or whatever it would be, you know, directing the course of the body politic and uh, where it's going to go, what it's going to do, etc. So you have the, uh, and the same holds true in the church, but more true, I suppose you could say. Because it, remember the church, what, all right. This is a good, good, uh, oh, darn it, I wanted to actually get through this, but this is good. This is important, I think, to, to understand this. Remember, the church is a city. It's pictured as a city here, right? The word politic comes from the word polis, right? Which is a Greek word for, anybody know? City. Very good. Yes. Excellent. So, when we talk about the body politic of, like, a state, of a, of a nation, of his, well, we use the word city-state of the ancient Greeks or whatever else, right? But that's, the, that's where the idea comes from. So when we talk about the body politic of a people, that nation's one nation, right? But it's still comprised of many, many people. But they all share a common identity, correct? Now, that's a, those are blood relations, right? By blood, someone is German or English or whatever else, right? And those things are important, and God is the one who sets up the boundaries and borders of nations and times, etc. Right? We're told that quite explicitly. However, those nations will eventually be no more. I mean, many nations have come and many nations have gone, right? However, the church, though, will last forever and ever and ever, right? The church is a more important relation, and it has a stronger connection. And that connection is the spirit. It transcends national boundaries. It transcends borders and times and places. The spirit mystically unites people closer than any blood can, right? So, and that union is eternal. That union is forever, you know? So, looking at, the, but the idea is the same. Looking at the city as a political body, and then looking at the church, we must, we must look at the church in much the same way. We don't really look at the church and say, oh, my people, you know what I mean? But we should really start doing that, you know? That would solve many a problem, especially in our day with that whole uh, Black Lives Matter movement invading much of the church, you know, the whole idea that Oh, there's a black church and a white church and a this church and a that church. No, you know, there's one church, and we're all closer than blood or, you know, nationality, as it were. When I say blood, I meant nationality, ethnically, you know. So all the spirit transcends all of these things, yes? Hopefully that helps. Um, and as, as that deals directly with what we were talking about in 21, about the gates of the city. The picture is the gates are open forever. You know, they're open all the time. There's no night there. They're open by day and there's no night. So that means they're always open, you know? And there's gates on every single side of the city so everyone can come in from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. You can have 
the northerners come in, you know, those from Sweden and other places, the southerners come in, those from Africa and whatnot, the easterners, those from Asia, you know, and westerners, even those from, you know, good old America. But uh, all peoples can mix and mingle in this city because they're united through this river, right? This river flows down the middle of the street of the city, and as we say about trees, what are trees but people? They grow up on either side of this river, you know? Uh, go ahead, what were you gonna say? No, actually, what I was gonna say, it has to do with the New Jerusalem. Like, yes. I was just thinking in terms of like, when you share the gospel with someone, like having that picture in mind of what... what we're calling them to? What, what, yeah, exactly, what you're calling them to enter into. All right. No, no, we don't. We think this is like heaven when you die someday. You say, oh, yeah, you're going to go to this city, you know, someday when you die. Right. It's like, no, no, no. We're calling people into enter into a new life that begins. Now, eternal life doesn't begin, you know, when you die. Eternal life begins when you're saved, yes? So the, when we talk about baptism, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The baptism that is being referred to here is a baptism in this river, the river that flows to the middle of the street of that city, baptism of the Spirit, you know, when the Spirit's poured out into the earth, that happened once, at one time, right? And we're calling people to enter into that river and be baptized, right? Into a river that's already existing, that existed when the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. That was the, the baptism. And then the rest of the baptisms that follow are, you know, part of that one baptism, that we enter into that, you know, you know, so, yeah, we're calling someone to enter into something that exists now and become part of a new creation that exists now, you know, a new life that exists right now, you know, so that's a, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a, yes, we do have a very truncated view sometimes. Right. It's kind of going back to that metaphysical is like, you know, who are you and what are you for, right? So like right. we are we are God's people and what are we for? We are to bring the light to the nations around us. Yeah, the glory of God, right? Yeah. Yep. You know, and it's it re um re identifies you when you're when you are saved. Right. 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 Good, good, you know, good works. And yeah, and, and yeah, good works, love, etc. Yeah, what's for, what is the healing of the nations, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, right? But um, what are those? What are they? You know, Jesus told us exactly what we're, like, what heals nations, and we spoke about this elsewhere. All right, what are they? Remember when we're reading in uh, Micah four, the nations say, "Come, let us go up to the mountain of the house of the God, uh, of Jacob," and what? Learn his ways, right? And let him teach us his law, right? Because what did Jesus say? What's the Great Commission? Teaching them. Yes, to do all that I commanded, right? 
That's, 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 that's the task of, of the church. That's how nations are, are healed, you know? All right, so any other comments or questions before we close? And then we'll pick up again, and we'll talk about a little bit about the river, and we'll talk more about the trees, you know? And then we'll go back to Micah. You know, uh, it's one book. His one source it says, it says, like I said, these are themes that carry all through from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And sometimes it is helpful to see them, you know, all over the place. You know, just go and like, oh, okay, we're in Micah 4, so let's just jump to Revelation 22 and, and, and discuss what's going on in Micah 4 from there. You know, we could do that because, again, these are themes, and sometimes some places say it more clearly than others, you know what I mean? But the idea is identical. The idea is exactly the same. Oh, this is what this is talking about. You know what I mean? That's why we're in Revelation, by the way. I'm not in Micah. Hopefully you guys knew that. But uh, I'll tell you what it doesn't do, though. It doesn't get you through books quick. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, all right. No other comments or questions? Then let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, your wisdom. Lord, the, the breadth and the depth of it, Lord, we, we could study it forever, Lord, and never, ever, ever plummet steps, Father. But again, we do thank you, Lord, that you have made us this new creation. You have made us this new city, Father God. And we pray that we would live up to it, Lord God, that we would always be mindful of, as Brother Jacob said, our purpose, Lord, um, that we are called to be a holy people, a pure people, that your glory might shine through us, Lord, that we might uh, be those trees that are planted by that river, Lord, that we might bear our fruit and that our leaves might be for the healing of the nations, Father God. And we pray, Lord God, that um, as these people, Lord, as those people who are called by your name, who have the name of Christ, on our foreheads, Lord, that we would go and worship you in spirit and in truth today, that you would be pleased with our worship, that we would um, be of one heart and one mind, that you'd be glorified and magnified in our worship today, Father God. We pray that as we pray, uh, you would hear us, Father, and as pastor preaches, that we would hear you through him and not just be hearers of the word, but also doers, Father, that we might take the message that is given to us and go forth into the world to, to again, heal the nations, Lord. And we uh, pray also, Lord, that as we partake of the body and blood of Christ, Lord, that you would remember us and see Christ in us, Father, as we remember our Lord who died for us, that you would also remember that we are yours, that we are his father that we belong to him that he is in us and we in him lord and through him you would remember our plight and our place and that the world might change through that it's in christ's name we pray amen